Gene Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading the book of Obadiah, just one chapter, and then Psalms 82 and 83. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Obadiah writes about the fall of Edom, beginning in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed, to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever." In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress." You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you." Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. 
And the captains of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captains of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Well, Edom was the land southeast of Israel. Obadiah prophesied their fall. And that's what the whole book of Obadiah is all written about, all 21 verses. We don't know when Obadiah was written, but we do know what period of time he was prophesying about. It was the period immediately following the fall of Jerusalem. You'll recall that the Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. From the sound of this passage, it would appear that the Edomites turned against Israel in the time leading up to Jerusalem's fall in 586 B.C. This prophecy says that this action will be punished by their own demise. They will fall to the Babylonians as well. They disappeared in the 6th century, never to reappear as a nation ever again. We do find references to the region in the New Testament in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, which says, And Jerusalem and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. That reference to Idumea is the region known as the Edomites in the Old Testament. However, they weren't an autonomous nation at that point, and then disappeared from any reference in history after the first century A.D. Now, that being said, there are two likely possibilities for the time of the writing of Obadiah. The first is during the reign of Jehoram, that's 853 to 841 B.C. The second is after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. As far as the fulfillment of this prophecy against Edom, we only know that they disappeared after the Assyrians and later the Babylonians conquered the region. Now, incidentally, several other prophets also prophesied concerning Edom. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Amos, Ezekiel, Ezekiel again in another passage, 25 and chapter 35, and Malachi. All of these are referenced with links in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. Also, I should point out that in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading, I have a yellow box, a chart, that shows a brief history of Edom with all the references to Edom, and you can click on those and read the uh, appropriate scripture. We see in verses 5 and 6 here the utter destruction that will befall Edom. Even their allies will turn against them, we see in verse 7. And why this judgment? Well, verse 10 has the answer. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. It will be for their ill treatment of their brethren, Jacob's descendants, Israel. The outline of their offense against Israel is to be found in verses 11 through 14. And here are the points that are made. First of all, Edom stood by while Jerusalem was invaded in verse 11. Then Edom rejoiced over the captivity of Judah in verse 12. Edom even assisted in the destruction of the city in verse 13. And then also, Edom even helped set up roadblocks to hamper the escape of the Jewish people in verse 14. Obadiah's reference to the day of the Lord in verse 15, based upon the accompanying prophetic events, certainly directly refers to what believers today understand to be the second coming of Jesus Christ, as seen in Revelation chapter 19. It should be noted, however, that um, Edom's overthrow is now history to us. It's not future. 
Notice verse 18. It says, The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Well, that prophecy has been fulfilled already. Now, here's a technical aside. Many scholars think that the phrase in verse 3, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high, is really a direct reference, they think, to the capital city of Edom, whose name is Selah. The general word for rock is Selah. Since no differentiation between words and names exist in Hebrew manuscripts, many think that this verse should read, you who dwell in the clefts of Selah. Since Petra means rock in Greek, the capital city of Selah was later called Petra by the Greeks, we're told. To add strength to their argument, many cite the Septuagint rendering of the phrase. However, the Septuagint renders the Greek phrase in the genitive plural case. That would be appropriately translated in the clefts of the rocks. Since the Hebrew phrase shows a singular Selah, but the Greek Septuagint phrase shows a plural Petra, or in this case Petron, a proponent of that theory can only conclude that the Septuagint's translation of that verse slightly misses the mark, the difference between the singular name of a city as opposed to the plural reference to rocks. Who cares, one might say. Well, it's only significant in light of a prophetic teaching that those who flee the wrath of the second half of the tribulation will take flight to Petra, the capital city of Edom. If you'd like to see a full discussion of that, then look at my notes on Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Regardless of the merit of that prophetic theory, no validity is lent to it based upon Obadiah chapter 3. Next, we're going to be reading Psalms 82 and 83, but let's get an overview first. Chronologically, why do we read these two psalms here? We don't really know the time frame in which these two psalms were written, but notice some interesting verses in chapter 83, verses 6 through 8. In these verses, we find a confederation of nations who assist the Ammonites and Moabites against Israel. You'll recall that Jehoshaphat experienced such warfare from these neighbors in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. And that verse says, It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now here's the interesting aspect of the confederation of nations listed in Psalm 83, verses 6 through 8. It's Asher. Asher is listed as one of those nations in verse 8. Now, Asher is Assyria, who emerged after the kingdom of Israel split. Incidentally, that's modern-day Iraq. So, when a nation that did not emerge as a threat until after the division of Israel is mentioned in a psalm, coupled with the account of a battle in Second Chronicles chapter 20 that seems to fit the description, some have concluded that this psalm was written around the same time of Jehoshaphat's reign, that's 873 to 848 B.C. Whoops, though, there's a problem. The introduction of Psalms 82 and 83 clearly says a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was, without question, David's music guy. So was Asaph writing a little prophecy into his songs, or was there another man named Asaph during Jehoshaphat's day? Well, that's one we'll need to address when we get to heaven, well, that's if you're still interested then. There's another fascinating aspect of these two psalms. Jesus refers to Psalm 82.6 in one of his verbal battles with the Pharisees in the book of John. Psalm 82.6 says, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. 
Now notice the way Jesus used this verse in John chapter 10, verses 33 through 35. I read now from those verses. The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Now here's a note from the Expositor's Bible Commentary with regard to Jesus' usage here of Psalm 82.6. I quote, Had Jesus not meant to convey a claim to deity, he undoubtedly would have protested the action of the Jews by declaring that they had misunderstood him. On the contrary, Jesus introduced an afortiori argument from the Psalms to strengthen his statement. Psalm 82.6 represents God as addressing a group of beings whom he calls gods. That's the Hebrew word Elohim, and sons of the Most High. If then these terms can be applied to ordinary mortals or even angels, how could Jesus be accused of blasphemy when he applied them to himself whom the Father set apart and sent into the world on a special mission? Jesus was not offering a false claim. He was merely asserting what he was by rights. And that's the end of the quote from Expositor's Bible Commentary. It's amusing that Jesus used a passage from the Old Testament that the Pharisees obviously did not understand to thoroughly confuse them. Let's face it, those Pharisees were just no match for Jesus. Now let's read Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations." This psalm declares that all powers on earth are subject to the one true God. Jesus, as I mentioned, quoted verse 6 in John chapter 10, verses 33 through 35. Now add this to our discussion from a few moments ago. Uh, the notion adopted by some commentators that the gods of nations surrounding Israel are in view here, well, that just can't be correct. This psalm, therefore, is a condemnation of unjust judges. Now, Psalm 83, the subtitle of this one says, A Song, A Psalm of Asaph, verse 1. Do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Selah. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmanah. 
Who said, Let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession? O oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chafe before the wind. As the fire burns the woods, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest, and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish." that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. Well, we see in this form the formation of a confederacy who seek the total annihilation of Israel. We see in verses 6 and 7 that this confederation of nations is made up of Edom, the descendants of Ishmael, the Moabites, the Hagarenes, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines, and finally the inhabitants of Tyre. Wow, that's quite a list of enemies. In verses 9 through 18, the psalmist prays for God's vengeance upon this confederacy of nations who seek Israel's demise. Incidentally, the name Jehovah is transliterated from the Hebrew text in verse 18, sometimes rendered Yahweh instead. Usually this Hebrew name for God, also known by Jews as the Tetragrammation, is simply translated in our Bibles as Lord in all capital letters. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker. 